And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. What is up, listeners? I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. When Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's dark comedy, won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2020, it shined a light on one of the most innovative film industries outside of Hollywood. Well, many were surprised at this historical win. Fans of Korean cinema understand that South Korea has one of the largest and most enthusiastic film industries to date. They produce over 100 films a year, a healthy mix of blockbusters and smaller films, with Koreans being some of the most active cinemagoers in the world. Unfortunately, I feel like I'm pretty limited in my South Korean cinema knowledge, so an artist and writer, Ryan Estrada, came to me with this topic. I was both up to the challenge and ready to learn about some amazing South Korean films, and we both ended up having films on our list that the other had never heard of, so I think you're in for some great recommendations. Before we get to our topic, however, let's talk about last week's topic with director Nick Shostakovsky, five films that scarred you as a child. This was a really popular episode, so I'm guessing there are a lot of people interested in exploring theirs and others' kinder trauma, and I do not blame them. It was a great topic. And because this one is really personal, I asked my family members what theirs were. My wife said child's play. I was not surprised by that. Uh, That seemed like a popular one. Both my mom and my uncle Jim said The Wizard of Oz must have been a very scary night in the Miller household then. My dad said Carnival of Souls, and he also said, this one I'm going to need some listeners' help with. Here's the text. I saw a movie when I was in grade school, and there was a scene where a man is bricking up a doorway to lock another man in with no way out. I have no idea what the movie was or why I was watching it, but that scene has always stuck with me my entire life. So listeners, if that scene sounds um, sounds familiar to you, let me know. I'll let my dad know what that movie is. My sister-in-law, Kaylee, who's much younger than me, said The Human Centipede and a film called Megan is Missing, which I have not heard of, but she said it's terrifying. If you've seen Megan is Missing, let me know. Executive producer and best friend Sean said Mac and me scared the living fuck out of me as a kid. I was legit terrified of little aliens. I probably still wouldn't watch that movie today. And finally, executive producer and best friend Moose also echoed Child's Play. If you want to get your comment read on the show, you can find me on Twitter at Force5Pod. You can find me on Instagram at Force5Podcast. Or you can find me on the Cinematics Facebook page. If you don't want to do any of that, email me, force5podcast at gmail.com, and your comment might just make the next show. All right, over on the Force 5 Patreon page, we got a lot going on. Last week, we did the Rafe Fines draft, which is still being voted on as I talk to you right now. But uh, one of the other benefits of being a paying listener is that for any tier, I tap a member on the shoulder randomly to assign me a film, and this month it was executive producer Ryan Golan from the New World Pictures podcast, who you will, by the way, hear next month as part of April's lineup for the Patreon. They're going to be doing the Dario Argento draft, he and his co-host Mark. Anyway, he sent me a list of films, and there were some intriguing ones on that list that I haven't seen, but the one I ended up choosing was the 1983 film The Devonsville Terror. Centuries ago, the forces of evil were driven out 
of Devonsville, Massachusetts. Now, 300 years later, the devil wants it back. Jim Scanlon has come to Devonsville to teach the children, but she is about to learn that she is a messenger from the dark side. Only evil will out evil. By November 3rd, it will be exactly 300 years to the day. That's a pretty grim day to remember. You're talking about the witches. Now, now, please, let us pray. They're starting to believe that you, Chris, and Monica are a reincarnation of the three witches. I believe it. The film starts 300 years prior in the New England town of Devonsville, 1683, as a woman is mixing ingredients into a giant cauldron heated by a wooden fire. I'm not sure what she was making in this pot, but it looked like it was probably enough soup to feed like 200 people. Unfortunately, she never gets to try that soup because a bunch of townspeople snare her and two other women because they've been branded as witches. With expedient trials, and I say that in quotations, they're all found guilty, of course, and sentenced to die in gruesome ways. And uh, I do mean gruesome. One is fed to pigs, one is burned alive, and the worst one is strapped back first to a wooden wheel that's set on fire and rolled down a hill crushing her face and body with every rotation. That was pretty grotesque way to start the movie out. Uh, Then we flip to the present. Devonsville is your typical backwoods yokel town, a place where there's one shitty general store and the doctor's the mortician and the town psychic, you know, that kind of place. And uh, a woman named Jenny Scanlon gets off the bus with a suitcase and a dream to be a grade school teacher at what's probably the only school in town. Why her dream would be to teach people at the Devonsville elementary school is anybody's guess. The rest of the townsfolk appear to be incel men. There's Walter Gibbs, the general store owner who recently killed his sick wife by suffocating her with a pillow because she wouldn't shut up. Ralph Pendleton, an old dude who constantly tells his wife to shut up. And then a few guys in their mid to late 20s who just can't stand the idea of a woman working or having their own thoughts. Jenny quickly makes friends with two women from the town, but the townspeople really don't like that. As the film progressed, it actually felt more prescient than ever. The men in this town, uneducated, inundated by local superstition and the uninformed word of their elders, continuously working to both indoctrinate their children while holding down the rights of women. They have a big problem with these three women, and not because they're outsiders. They hate one because she's a radio DJ who's trying to preach female empowerment. They hate another because she cares about the environment. And finally, they hate one because they think she told her class that God could be a female and that she's sexually teasing the simple townsfolk by walking around and just living her life. The rural town pictured here could have easily been 1683, 1983, or Ohio in 2023. I saw very little difference between the men in this film and the ones packing the parking lot of drag shows with American flag button-ups and stop the steal signs. In terms of actors, Donald Pleasance plays the town doctor whose office is carpeted wall-to-wall and features a giant deer head mounted on the wall. He's the only one interested in helping Jenny, who he believes is the reincarnation of one of the Devonsville Inquisition witches. He has a stake in figuring this mystery out. See, one of his relatives was involved in the slaying of those witches, and his family has been cursed ever since, each dying by being eaten by worms that come from the inside of their body. And he proves this because he's now got little worms crawling out of his arms. 
During routine checkups, he puts the townsfolk through weird hypnotism sessions that feature him yelling at people who are put under extremely unsettling blinking lights and somehow gets confessions out of them for things that happened 300 years prior. The radiant Susanna Love plays the main character. She often collaborated with her husband, director Uli Lamel, really not doing much of note outside of his productions. She co-wrote the film along with several other Lamel movies like The Boogeyman, Brainwaves, and Strangers in Paradise. The only other recognizable actor aside from Pleasance and Love is Paul Wilson, who plays Walter Gibbs. He's probably best known as Bob Porter from Office Space, the other Bob, but he's been in a ton of guest spots on TV shows over the years like Malcolm in the Middle, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and The Big Bang Theory. The production here is clearly low budget, but does have a certain backwoods charm to it. It was filmed at Bill Rebane's Shooting Ranch Studios in Gleason, Wisconsin. Established in the mid-1960s, this studio serviced the image, documentary, and advertising film needs of national, corporate, and institutional clients for over two decades, while becoming the one and only full-time feature film production studio in the Midwestern United States. Certain scenes, like the opening flashback scenes, are very dark, clearly just using the woods behind Shooting Ranch. Yet the ending, when we finally see some carnage, is very well done. We get an exploding head, we get a melting head, lingering on the ladder as it dissolves for a good 30 seconds complete with moving jaw. The last scene in this movie is a real barn burner. And the one classroom schoolhouse in Merrill, Wisconsin that was used was done for the cost of an exterior paint job. In closing, the Devonsville Terror was a decent slow boil witch film that actually portrays the men as the real villains. There aren't many surprises in the story, but you will be wondering how far the chauvinists will be allowed to go before they experience their wrath. The film was originally released on VHS in the mid-80s and made its on-disc debut in 1999 as a double feature with Lamel's film The Boogeyman by Anchor Bay. Vinegar Syndrome recently released this version, cleaned up with a 2K scan from a 35mm negative. While the disc doesn't contain a commentary, they did line up interviews with several of the people involved with the production and got an archival interview with the director who died sadly in 2017. All right, now normally this is where I toss in my fake ad to segue into the main show, but this week uh, instead I want to take a minute to pay homage to somebody who died way too soon this past week, actor Lance Reddick. A lot of film fans will associate Lance Reddick with the John Wick series, and you know, he's great in that. But to me, he'll always be Lieutenant Daniels on The Wire. He was an amazing talent, and I was I was floored, honestly, when I started getting texts that morning that he had passed away. In addition to his on-screen roles, he was a tremendous voice actor in film and video games, probably best known for the Destiny series. But look, if you haven't seen The Wire, you should. I know a lot of you are strictly film, and you don't you don't watch a lot of TV, but The Wire, I mean, it's got an incredible cast. It's a great TV show. And even with an incredible cast like it had, Lance Reddick stood out. And for a more underseen performance in film that I really enjoyed, check out his role as Major Carver in the 2014 film The Guest. Lance Reddick, you will be missed. Congratulations. It's time to call mom and dad. Tell them that the second mortgage they took out for your degree was worth it because you now have a job. But a job is not a career. No, 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 no. A job is just a foot in the door. If you want a career, you want to be standing where I'm standing 15 years from now, then you had better listen very fucking carefully to the next 176 words out of my mouth because this is your new reality. When you walk through that door each and every morning, your ass is mine. There will be no cell phone use, 
There will be no smoke breaks. There will be no conversation and putting into the job. There will be no motherfucking shits taken unless authorized by me personally. And if you happen to be lucky enough to get that authorization, you will have exactly four minutes and 30 seconds to expel your fecal material, wipe your ass and wash your filthy hands and get back to work. And if I happen to come across a shit smear in the toilet bowl of that employee restroom, I will personally go to each and every one of your homes and shit in places that will leave you confused for the rest of your lives. Excellence. I expect it. I demand it and I deliver it. And there's really only one thing you need to know. This ain't Toys R Us, motherfuckers. This is Toys R Me. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. My guest tonight is Ryan Estrada. He's an artist and an author whose newest project, Occulted, is currently up for pre-order from Iron Circus Comics. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to talk about some real nerdy movies. <laughs> Me too. I'm ready to get into a topic that I'm definitely not as versed in as a lot of others, so I'm looking forward to getting some recommendations as well as hopefully giving my listeners a couple of uh, really cool picks. Before we get into movies, let's talk about your writing and art career for a second. It seems like you've been involved with some really great projects. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, I uh, make comics and lots of other different types of projects, but uh, I've been doing it my whole life since I was uh, pitching comics to newspapers when I was six years old and just kept going from there. Uh, wow. And um, yeah, the book people may know me from is a band book club that has done very well and won lots of awards and we have the follow-up occulted coming out uh this may and yeah i just i've been living uh overseas you know since i worked through the internet telling stories uh i just moved to a new country every year for like a decade and just kind of fell in love with korea and uh with my wife who's korean so i've, I've lived here now i've been settled here uh for about 10 years but coming and going since 2002 um making lots of weird books and comics how many countries did you live in uh i think it's up to about like 20 you know different stretches of time sometimes it'd be there i'd be there for like a week sometimes i'd be there for like two years but uh yeah i've i've been all over uh gotten a little a lot of trouble uh almost eaten by lions <laughs> one time in the masai mara thrown out of a train by the police in india slept on a park bench in a typhoon in japan and just basically, yeah, like every uh, experience I had was like a movie about a terrible traveler. Wow, we're talking to the real life Walter Mitty right now. Yeah, except his uh, all the weird things that happened to him were like you know, flights of fantasy, whereas mine were just me being really dumb and almost dying. <laughs> uh, out of all those countries, aside from South Korea, what's the what's your favorite one? I think every country is, you know, good for different reasons. Like India is great for uh, traveling and like road tripping because every hour that you travel, you're in a new culture, new clothes, new uh, language, new food, uh, you know, for uh, natural beauty. I loved living in, say, like uh, Panama and Costa Rica. Uh, every country I like for different reasons. It's amazing. Now, speaking of amazing Occulted comes out May 2nd. You can pre-order it at the link in the show notes. 
Why don't you give our listeners a taste of what Occulted is about or what they can look forward to when they pick that book up? Occulted is, it came out of, as I mentioned, I have a book that was very successful called Band Book Club that was about my wife finding out that my wife uh, was in the 1980s was a member of an underground illegal reading club and was hunted down by the police in South Korea. And after that book came out, a friend of ours named Amy Rose was like, well, I have a band book story too. And it turned out she grew up in a cult just down the road from Heaven's Gate. And it was banned books that allowed her to learn what she needed to escape. Um, so I'm like, well, that's, that, there's a sequel. Like, th- does everyone I know secretly have a story <laughs> like this? And so it's, we turned it to a book that's just really like, you know, scary and funny and it's about like really scary traumatic experiences but we you know it's from the point of view of this little girl that doesn't know any better so it's like it we were able to make it fun and and interesting now you've also worked with some really well-known franchises i mean star trek flash gordon garfield random question but if you could pick any franchise to do some work for what franchise would you choose my dream project is a comic for a movie that I, you know, I don't dislike this movie, but it's not like a movie that I'm particularly into, but I really want to make a comic about John Wick's dog. Oh, nice. I've got it. I've got it all plotted out. Not the first dog. That would be a really depressing book. The second dog for the second movie that he like leaves at the hotel. I want to do a book about what was going on with that dog staying at the hotel and like how awkward it would be for everyone that like to to be responsible for keeping John Wick's dog safe because you know what happens to people who mess with John Wick's dog. That would be hilarious. I, I would definitely uh, read that. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready to write it. Whoever has the rights wants to, wants to make it happen. All right, well, let's get into some movies here. Before we talk South Korean films, I'd just like to know what some of your favorite films of all time are. Well, I mean, the greatest movie of all time is, is obvious. Um, it's a goofy movie. <laughs> so um, that's... That's the top, and uh, I think I, if you look at my letterboxed, the uh, my top four are a goofy movie, Shawshank Redemption, The Hudsucker Proxy, and a movie that will come up later, so I'm not going to spoil it. Okay, nice. Hudsucker Proxy. I just used that film as uh, one of my fake ads a couple a couple of episodes ago when I did top five Coen Brothers characters. All right. Love that film, too. And of course, Shawshank. It's a classic. A goofy movie uh, I have seen, but I have not seen for a very long time. I know the Blu-ray is on my shelf, so at some point I'll pull it back off and, and show the kid, and we'll see how that uh, how that plays for me here at, in my old age. Yeah, when I, when I was uh, deciding what, what top five list to pick, I'm like, is there anything I could do where I could put a goofy movie at number one? <laughs> but I decided just to go with Korean movies just because I, I think I have a unique... Uh, expertise having lived here for so long and and uh you know i I live right across the street from the um the busan cinema center where the world's largest film festival happens or asia's largest film festival happens every year and i've i've met a lot of the filmmakers involved in some of the films so i decided to go with that instead of forcing you to talk about a goofy movie i'm excited i'm excited to get into korean cinema you you said you have a a unique perspective on it. Obviously you're right there. How do you see the state of Korean cinema right now? Is it as good or better than when you first got to Korea? Is it better than the United States film industry? What's your perception of it right now? 
Well, the, the early 2000s were like this golden age of Korean movies. Like I came just at the right time when all like the greatest filmmakers were making their greatest films. And there was a, real, a lot of experimentation where they would take like tropes from American films and just do something completely different with it. But then it, it was so successful that a few years later, all of those filmmakers went to Hollywood to make films there. And then were stuck in production hell for like a decade trying to make one film. And so the Korean film industry has taken some time to catch up and like, you know, all of their greatest filmmakers have taken away from them. So there's still a lot of really uh, great films being made. And, um, and it, it's kind of, I think it's kind of trying to figure out what its identity is again. Yeah, that makes sense. There's, well, I got a couple from the earlier part of uh, the 21st century, but my list is kind of scattered. I'm looking forward to some recommendations from you because uh, South Korean films, not my strongest suit. I've seen the big hitters, I think, and there are definitely some deep cuts I know I'm missing out on. I highly doubt that I'm going to pull anything from my list that you have not seen, although there's one that possibly because it's pretty new. But I mean, if you're living across from the mm-hmm. cinema, you may have seen this. I'm sure you've definitely heard of it. All right, uh, Ryan Estrada, you ready to get into our list? I'm ready. You know what's going to happen? Mm. You know what's happening here right now? You know what's going to happen? Mm. No, no, no. What? No, you just made the list! All right, so I'm going to kick us off here. My number five is a haunting film that I have never stopped thinking about since I saw it. It's from 2010, and it's called I Saw the Devil. This is a film about a guy played by Choi Min-sik, and he is an absolute psychopath, a murderer, a rapist with no regard for human life. Uh, Kyung Chul is his name. And we're introduced to this guy in the very first scene of the film. He's uh, driving a bus. He stops to help a woman. Well, you'd think he's stopping to help a woman whose car has broken down, and he brutally attacks her. And this is the wrong victim for him because her fiance is a national intelligence service agent named Kim and Kim has vowed to find the killer and uh, he has four leads. So he goes after these leads and he's torturing them until he's fine until he finds the right one because his wife's ring was left behind when the killer dismembered the body. So that's how he finds out who this is. Instead of killing Kyung Chul, he decides to bug him so that he can both hear him and track him. And then he decides to make his life a living hell. Uh, Kim is a terrible police officer. Like, so many people are maimed and killed because he either gets there too late or at one point loses the killer completely. But in his mind, he just doesn't care because all he's out to do is make this guy's life a living hell. It's an absurd film, but it's full of surprises. It's got some really crazy gore. And it has a pretty satisfying ending featuring this makeshift guillotine. I'm not going to say much more than that, but uh, it's a, a really fun ending scene that I've never forgotten. There's another great scene in a hallway. It's really suspenseful in this apartment that takes a really crazy turn with fish hooks and a shotgun. And uh, it's one of it's it's a really short scene, but it's a very exciting sh- scene and one of my favorite um like, there, there's a shotgun that goes off as a guy gets kicked, and it's one of my favorite moments in cinema. It's just amazing. 
It's a really well-shot film. Lee Mogay was the cinematographer. He also shot one of my honorable mentions that I will bring up later, but he's just got an amazing eye for film. It's not a happy film. It is a depressing, sour film, but it is, you'll never forget it. It will never leave you. That's I Saw the Devil from 2010. Yeah, I, I I love Kim Ji Yoon. He's a fascinating filmmaker. One of the things that I love about him, he reminds me of uh, Jordan Peele, in the way that like Jordan Peele, he started with Key and Peele and then moved to like really dark horror, and that's kind of what he did. Like my favorite movie is his uh, is one of his first called The Foul King. That's just the goofiest movie about like a, a masked wrestler <laughs> who just sucks at wrestling so bad and loses every fight, and it it's a hilarious movie. And I'm like. I want to see what this guy did next. And I'm like, oh, this is very different. <laughs> yeah, just so much unflinching gore. There's a scene where he's just beating guys upon the head with a baton and you just see blood squirting everywhere. It's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. All right, number five for you, Ryan. All right, so I mentioned earlier that my, uh, my number four movie of all time was going to make this list. And I, I already feel bad about what I have to do right now, but I'm going to put it at number five on my best Korean movies list. And that's only because it is physically impossible for pretty much anyone to watch. Oh, uh, the movie is called Breakout, Lateral uh, Kira in Korean. And I have always recommended this movie to everyone. And I was just talking to someone else about it. And they're like, it does not exist anywhere. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if there's a rights issue, but it has just ceased to exist on this earth, even in like used DVD copies. But it occasionally you can find it, and it is amazing. Um, uh, there's this genre in Korean cinema that I call the "but with a dork" genre, <laughs> and they'll take an American type of movie and be like, "But what would this happen if a dork did this?" So this movie is basically Under Siege Two, uh, where someone has hijacked a train. There's only one man that can stop them, but he's not like the best at anything. He is just a dude who was supposed to take that train on the worst day of his life, but the guy who hijacked it stole his lighter. He like spent his last 50 cents on a lighter, and all he wants to do is smoke. But this gangster stole his lighter, and his last shred of self-respect is wrapped up in getting this 50-cent lighter back. And the gangster, his last shred, like his, his underlings are starting to, like, you know, in movies, it's always like the underlings will do whatever the boss says. They're starting to doubt him. So if he admits that he stole this guy's 50 cent lighter, they're going to lose respect for him. So all of this action comes to the stupidest stakes possible, but you really feel it. And because they're so stupid, you're like, I wish everyone that made movies would be able to watch this movie because like it shows how much you can get out of such tiny, stupid stakes. And this guy sucks so bad at being an action hero that like, yes, he will climb on top of the train to get to the front. But you're going to see him like crying as he does it. And then he's going to get to the front and realize there's no door there. So Light Torquetta Breakout, that's my number five, even though in my heart it's my number one. All right, Breakout, that's uh, one that I've never heard of. And it sounds like that's not surprising. Is the tone of it uh, more of like action comedy or is it straight up action? It's an action comedy and it's very, very funny. Okay, Breakout. What year did that come out again? 2002. 2002. Okay. Breakout. Awesome. Well, I've got my first recommendation here, although I'll probably never be able to see it. The entire movie's on YouTube, uh, but unfortunately without subtitles. Oh, well, all right. I mean, look, you just, uh, you rip the audio from Under Siege 2 and then you throw it in there and uh, Steven Seagal becomes a bigger dork. 
then he already is. There you go. Uh, my number four is uh, another film from 2010. This is a film called The Man from Nowhere. This is written and directed by Lee Jiang Byom. And it's about this guy named Tai Seek. He's a pawn shop owner in a small neighborhood. He's become very fond of a little girl in the neighborhood named So Me. Uh, and she just comes to his shop and, you know, hangs out and stuff. And her mom is a dancer at this bar. Her, her mom's boyfriend tells her to steal a bag of opium that's being held at the bar. But this bag of opium belongs to a big time gangster. So she does this. And she hides it in a bag that she sells to Tai Seek at the shop. And of course, this gangster comes looking for it. And long story short, the gangsters kidnap the little girl and they kill the mom. So Tai Seek goes looking for the girl. And uh, little do these guys know that he is an ex-covert operative for the South Korean army. This is like um, Shades of Leon the Professional, but without the weird sexualization of Natalie Portman. And it's got killer fight scenes, some very creative kills, including a nail gun torture that ends in a very explosive way. The real MVP of this film is the character of Ramrawan, in my opinion. Uh, he and Tai Seek face off twice. They face off first in a bathroom where they have a great bathroom fight. I love a good bathroom fight scene. And then they have this final fight with knives. And there's a certain level of respect that this character has for Tai Seek. Like during this fight, you know, he, the, the guy runs out of bullets, so he starts chopping people up with knives. And Ramaran could easily kill him with a gun, but decides to pull out his knife as well as a, as a sign of mutual respect. He's also got a code, which we learn at the end of the film. It's, uh, it's got a great parking garage scene. Uh, all I'll say is one bullet left. I highly recommend this film if you're into revenge thrillers. If you like Leon the Professional, I think this is a really great double feature to watch with that. Uh, Juan Bin and Kim Se-Ron are the uh, the stars of this one. That is my number four, The Man from Nowhere from 2010. Excellent. That's one that I have not seen, so I look forward to checking it out. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to like it. Excellent. All right. My number four uh, is JSA Joint Security Area which is a film by uh, Pak Chanuk, who people know from Old Boy. And uh, so this movie is about a murder that happens on the North Korea-South Korea border. And it's all about the tensions there and how weird it is to, you know, for a country to family members to be separated on this border that tries to turn them into enemies. And it's basically like if you took, uh, let's say, A Few Good Men or... Um, the general's daughter or any of those like there's something there's a murder and like it it goes all the way up to the highest levels of power except instead of going all the way up to the highest levels of power the solution is actually the most adorable thing you'll ever see in your life they're just so cute <laughs> uh in what like what happened and how it spiraled out of control because of the unique situation there and like to see these like you know once you dig into the story and see these people who were previously scary just like becoming best friends and like uh you know playing dorky children's games together in secret because they're not allowed to interact um it's really fun uh it's a great movie with like uh like these oscar worthy performances and the reason i put it at number four is something that i love but other people that might not appreciate is that this amazing film is bookended by the people doing the investigating who uh speak in english 
And it is very clear that Buck Chanuk does not speak English and therefore did not know if the people who were performing were giving a good performance or not. And they were not. <laughs> so it's like watching one of the greatest acted films ever made bookended by like just the worst acting you've ever seen in your life. The most quotably bad acting that you can do impressions of, uh, of how I, I, I don't know. They, they just, the, the, the tonal whiplash of these performances is part of what makes me love it so much. Joint security area, JSA. This is one that is honor my honorable mentions. It probably would have made my list if I had seen it recently. I haven't seen this since probably 2003. It was the second Korean film I ever saw. And I know that because I picked it up after the first Korean film I ever saw, which I cannot mention because that is on my list for later. All right. Uh, my number three is the one that I'm, I don't know if you'll have seen it or not. I, I'm wondering if you've heard of it. It's from this year. I believe it came out in Korea in 2022. It's called Project Wolf Hunting. Is this familiar to you? No. Nope. All right, cool. This one is uh, written and directed by Kim Hong Seon. And it starts out like a waterlocked con air. So the, the story is that the Philippines and South Korea have worked out a deal to extradite criminals. And there are a bunch of them that are heading back to Korea for their proper punishment. And the way they're doing it is they've emptied out this cargo ship in order to transport these goons, locked two to a room in shackles. There's plenty of guards on board. There's a captain, two doctors, a handful of crew members. And then we find out there's a special unit of police that have taken over the boat's communication center in order to monitor the ship. But once the boat is out to sea, we realize a couple of things. First, the criminals are the worst of the worst. And we know, we've seen a million movies like this, we know it's only a matter of time before they get loose. But second, um, there's something on the boat that's even worse than the criminals. And when the criminals get free, we get our first taste of bloodshed and... The violence in this movie is quite, it's, it's quite possibly the bloodiest movie I've ever seen. It is like cartoonish levels of violence, but it's played straight. There are throats slashed, jaws dislocated, limbs ripped off. A guy gets his head caved in with his own arm. Based on that, you're either in or you're out, I think, on this one. The um, the twists and turns throughout the film as certain parties are revealed that have less than noble intentions is, is really fun. The whole boat ride is just a really great spectacle. It's a great like um, siege film turned monster movie where things continuously go from bad to worse. Yeah, you're going to have a good time with this if you love gory cinema. And I really think this would be a blast to see with a crowd. It comes out on Blu-ray soon. It is called Project Wolf Hunting, and it came out this year here in the United States. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, heard of that one. I know that that is a big, that is one of the main things people know about Korean cinemas. There are a lot of very uh, gory, violent, especially revenge thrillers or uh, films like that. That's that's a very specific branch of, of Korean cinema. But uh, yeah, I look forward to checking this one out. Yeah, let me let me know when you check it out. I'd like like to know what you thought of it. All right, well, I'll uh, do my number three pick, and this is my this is my one pick that that fits into that very uh, violent uh, part of it, and it's called The Chaser. Uh, this is a film by Na Hong Jin, 
and it's essentially a serial killer movie. Uh, but you got to imagine that like picture every serial killer movie you've ever seen in Hollywood and then picture the guy who you know is going to catch the killer at the end and imagine you put them all in the movie and every single one of them has every single tool and resource they need to catch this guy up to him being in their jail cell admitting to what he did and none of them are going to succeed in catching the serial killer. Uh, this sounds like a comedy but it is not. It is a very, very dark, violent movie. But it's one of the things that I, another thing I love about Korean movies is that you can have a parody that is not a comedy. Uh, this takes all of the tropes of serial killer movies and just turns them on their head so that if you're familiar with them, it's hilarious. And if you're not, it's disturbing. So I watched it with a group of friends that were not familiar with American serial killer movies. And I was laughing hysterically and they're all looking at each other like, guys, I think Ryan might be a serial killer. Like, why is this <laughs> funny to him? But like, uh, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but the one moment that made me love it was there's this one guy who's like the disgraced former cop who's become a criminal that, you know, is trying to redeem himself. You know, by the end, he's going to solve it, but he's not figured it out yet. Um, and all of a sudden he, the the killer is like leaving his apartment to go get something. And all of a sudden this, uh, cop, this retired cop who you haven't seen in a while, comes flying over the hill in his car, speeds toward him, slams into the killer's car and jumps out. And you're like, he finally figured it out. And he goes, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I wasn't watching where I was going. Let's trade insurance information, trades inf insurance information and leaves. No idea. He ever just met the killer again, not a comedy. <laughs> so dark. All right. That's, uh, the chaser which uh, i did not i've not seen the chaser but one of the uh one of that director's films is in my honorable mentions list so all right i got to i got to make sure to check out the chaser all right my number 2 is one that has come up on this program before it is from 2005 taiguki the brotherhood of war this is a war film directed by kang jigyu it's a really realistic, well-shot war movie, but it has a sentimentality that makes it feel like the Korean Saving Private Ryan. The film is about the Lee brothers, and they've always grown up very poor. Jin Siak is the younger brother, and he's a student, but the only way he can afford to go to school is his older brother Jin Tae works at a shoeshine stand and pays for his schooling. And then when the Korean War breaks out, both brothers are drafted and forced to fight on the front lines. But the older brother, Jin Tae, makes a deal with his commanding officer. If he can earn the highest medal assigned to a South Korean officer, then uh, they're going to send his brother home. And eventually, the brothers are pitted against each other, in part because war turns Jin Tae into a complete monster. The big battle set pieces are really well done. There are some moments of 2005 CGI that don't look great, but overall, I think they're really well done. It's also a, a war that we don't see very much in American films. The Korean War is, you know, we kind of go straight from World, World War II to Vietnam in most cases, and we don't get to see the Korean War. This is a picture that was the, it's right now it's the 13th highest grossing film of all time in South Korea and was the number one grossing film of all time when it first released and it won best picture at the Blue Dragon Film Awards and the Baksang Arts Awards. So very highly regarded. 
I really do recommend this one. I don't know that it has a great Blu-ray. I have the DVD of it, and it's um, it's serviceable, but it's not great. I really wish somebody would put this out in a really great package. That's uh, Taiguki, The Brotherhood of War from 2005 at number two for me. Yeah, Taiguki, uh, I was actually at the world premiere of this movie. Oh, wow. Accidentally. Uh, I was it was I was very new to Korea and I was walking around Seoul and I got lost and there was a big theater screen and all of a sudden I'm like oh I'm at the world premiere of a movie but then it wasn't in uh, English so I left <laughs> I never actually got around to watching it oh it's it's really good it's really good if you like right. war movies it's a really well done war movie all right well uh, for my number two I'm gonna go with a film uh, one of the things I hate about uh, talking about Korean movies is that I have to have to use the terrible English titles uh, Castaway on the Moon. Uh, the original title is Mr. Kim's Island, but they wanted to tie it in with Castaway. Um, but this is another one of those movies I talked about where they take an idea from an American movie and do something completely different with it. And so this is basically the movie Castaway, but instead of being trapped on an island in the middle of the ocean, he's trapped on an island in the middle of the Han River, which is just this small river that goes through the city of Seoul. And so basically he could walk back. Like you can see like people in their apartments on either <laughs> side. And, but again, because the stakes are so low, they really put in the work to show why he stays there. And it's basically, um, as I mentioned before, it's cast away, but with a dork. And again, this is not a parody. This is uh, it's, it's a funny movie, but it's telling its own unique story with its own character and how he interacts with this, like, um, shut in that never leaves her apartment and kind of just sees him out the window and how they uh, affect each other's lives without ever meeting. And uh, yeah, it's just a very, very touching, sweet story. And it's so funny uh, with, you know, it again, it's, it's, it's a parody in that it takes elements and does different things with them, but it's not just a, a parody of that film. It's, it's a, a story and a set of characters in its own right, and I love it. I've never heard of this one. That sounds really interesting. It's a comedy, right? Yeah. yeah okay. I'm very uh, naive to Korean comedy, so would you recommend this? This is a good spot to start out with, with Korean comedy films? Yes, yes. I definitely recommend checking it out. Okay, cool. That's Castaway on the Moon. My number one here is probably not going to be a surprise to anybody. This is the first Korean film that I ever saw. And it still remains my favorite Korean film that I've ever seen. And that is 2003's Old Boy. This one is directed by Park Chan-wook. So uh, Dae-su is our main character, played by Choi Min-sik. He's arrested for being drunk in public. And he misses his daughter's fourth birthday. When he gets out of jail, he's kidnapped and he wakes up in a sealed hotel room that he's kept alive in for like 15 years. He's fed his food through a dog door and all he's got is a TV to keep him company. And then after 15 years, he's mysteriously released. Of course, he goes on a revenge spree. He goes to try and find the people who kidnapped him, starting with the company that made his food while he was in there. And uh, when he's out, he meets a young girl that he becomes interested in at a sushi place. And the rest of the movie is about him finding out why he was kidnapped and imprisoned, which leads to some very, very dire consequences for everybody involved. Uh, Old Boy is widely acclaimed, and for good reason. It is perfectly acted. 
Everything about the script unspools at an amazing pace. It's very interesting. It's very original. So this is the middle film in the Vengeance trilogy. It's the first Korean film I had ever seen back in the day when Netflix used to rent discs to people. Uh, like they, they, I think they still do it, but hardly anybody uses the service, but they, they would send discs to your house at one, two, three at a time. There was a service like that, and maybe a listener can tell me what it was called. I cannot remember at this point, but there was a service that did it only for foreign films. And this one was getting a ton of acclaim, and so this is the reason why I signed up for that service. I got this film, absolutely loved it, and that's why I started reaching out and I got the rest of the vengeance trilogy that way. I saw uh, joint security area because of this service. It was amazing. And uh, it's, it's a shame that it doesn't exist anymore, but I used the heck out of it while I had it. Two things have always stuck with me from this film. First off is the ending. I'm not going to reveal the ending, but I'll tell you, I did not see it coming until it was already too late. And uh, holy cow, never left my brain. The second is a scene that has been replicated millions of times since then, but never as well as the hallway fight scene in Old Boy. It's just a, you know, a guy with a hammer taking on a bunch of thugs, and uh, it's just extremely entertaining. The film won so many awards, and it had two remakes done of this. So the first was Zinda, which is an unauthorized Hindi ripoff that uh, was going to litigation, and then the studio that had ripped it off and put it out um, went out of business. So nothing happened with the lawsuit, but I read the plot summary of the ripoff, and it just misses all the points of the original Old Boy. And then uh, there was an American remake, of course. Now, it went through a couple of iterations. Justin Lin was attached first with his writers from Better Luck Tomorrow, were, they did the screenplay. And that screenplay is actually online. You can read that version from 2005. And they take some sweeping liberties with the, with the uh, material as well, like completely different ending. And then uh, Steven Spielberg had the rights for DreamWorks in 2008. He was going to do a remake with Will Smith. And then that dropped out. So Spike Lee made it with Josh Brolin. And it was an absolute disaster. It had one of the worst Thanksgiving openings of all time and made less than a million dollars in its first five days. The original, in my opinion, will never be touched. Old Boy from 2003 is my favorite Korean film ever made. Excellent. Uh, I One of the reasons when we talked about doing this and you said, well, uh, you know, you aren't as versed in Korean film. And I said, that is great because I knew that there were films that were very famous overseas the people would be angry at me for not putting on my list. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you're going to put on those movies and save me. Because, I mean, Bold Boy, I think, is a great movie, and I love that movie. But there's a lot of movies that I love more. And even within the Vengeance trilogy, I love Lady Vengeance. That's my favorite from there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do love this movie, and I'm so happy that you, you put it on the list. All right, grand finale time for you, Ryan. What's your number one favorite Korean film? All right. Well, uh, my strategy has failed me. <laughs> I, I said I wanted you to go first. And the reason was because I, I know there had to be a Bong Joon-ho, Song Gang-ho collaboration on here. And I was hoping you were going to play one of them because I had a head pick and a heart pick. Mm. And uh, I was waiting to figure out which one I was going to do. Um, but uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with my heart pick, which is The Host. Uh, this is, uh, Bong, Bong Joon-ho, of course, people know recently he won the Oscar for Parasite, 
but the host is his uh well his first uh, like monster movie his take on like the kaiju genre and what he does differently is basically that instead of like waiting to show you the monster at the very beginning this monster just bursts out of the han river and just starts killing people in you know in full broad daylight and shows you everything you're like wow what else is there is what else is there going to be to see after you like you know give us the money shot right away but then after that the government even though everyone is filming this completely forgets about the fa fact that there's a monster eating everyone and just starts worrying about like who are we going to blame for this like they say there there there's a virus uh because that's causing people to talk about this and we're going to figure out where the virus is and so everyone that would possibly be fighting this monster in any other movie is off like dealing with this governmental red tape. And the only people left are the worst people you would ever want fighting a monster, uh, including Song Gang-ho, uh, who again uh, worked with him in Parasite, playing a man who is so useless that he can't even um, run a snack stand that he got a job from nepotism because his father owns it like he just like kids come up and steal stuff because he can't stay awake and now he's everyone's only hope at fighting this monster including like his uh along with his sister who just dropped out of an archery contest because she like choked up and uh his his brother who like used to be an activist and turned into an alcoholic because he realized he couldn't get anything done all these people are famous for not doing anything and um, again, in a Hollywood movie, that would mean, oh, they, they've had these setbacks and now they're going to learn how to succeed, but no, they're terrible at it the whole time. And that's <laughs> what I love about Korean movies is that, you know, it, it means so much more when I see a character who like has the, the skills and resources to do anything. I don't care about what they do because you've already told me they can do it. But when someone is genuinely has no skills whatsoever relevant and you're like yeah they might die <laughs> they genuinely might die and fail and everyone might die because of it and that's what makes me love korean movies so that's why i'm choosing the host the host is a great pick i had this on my honorable mentions as well all right uh, well let's let's run down our top five films again for uh for the audience here at number five i had i saw the devil from 2010 at number four i had the man from nowhere also from 2010 and number three i had project wolf hunting from 2023 and number two Gi, the brotherhood of war from 2005 and at number one i had old boy from 2003 all right and i had at number five breakout at number four, JSA, Joint Security Area. Number three was The Chaser. Number two was Castaway on the Moon. And number one was Bong Joon-ho's The Host. Not the one by the Twilight Lady. The one by <laughs> Bong Joon-ho. Yes. Now, I'm sure there are a ton of films that just couldn't crack your top five. What are some of those honorable mentions that, that you would have put on your list if maybe we had a top 10 or 15? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what my head pick was for that number one. But again, I I, I didn't want to have two different Bong Joon-ho, Song Gang ho collaborations. That one was Memories of Murder, mm, mm -hmm. uh, which is another catching a serial killer movie based on a real case. And the reason I love that is because it does the same but with a dork thing, but in a historically accurate way. So, like, it shows how little resources police had at that time. And so even though this is a real case based on real murders where like the families are still alive, 
it becomes this comedy about uh, about how bad this guy sucks at being a police officer and it still feels respectful so i love that um i also uh just to pick one older movie uh i'll pick uh uh that was back in the 80s i believe it's it's available free on youtube with subtitles from the korean government and that is about um people these families that were separated during the korean war are finally uh finding one another uh but on a tv show that kind of brings people together and it's about what what happens when your whole life all you've wanted to reunite with your family and the three family members to come together and realize that they don't like each other so some more picks to check out there the honorable mentions i had on my list that were not mentioned yet the handmaiden from 2016 was on my list up until i don't know a couple hours ago and then i swapped that one out um let's see the the yellow sea was the one from the director of the chaser that i really liked i just haven't seen it in a long time i could have put any film from the vengeance trilogy on there i just chose old boy because it is my absolute favorite but i easily could have had one two and three be the the films from the vengeance trilogy uh sympathy for mr vengeance and lady vengeance and then you just mentioned it briefly there. Parasite is a really great movie that I think a lot of people have seen, but again, a really great movie. We got all kinds of films here. I got to try and find a copy of Breakout to watch. Who knows? The internet is a vast land. Maybe I could find one there. Ryan Estrada, fantastic list. Where can people go? Where do you want to direct people to go to see more of your work? Just go to ryanestrada.com. Everything you need to know about me is there. Tons of free comics to read. Links to where you can get my books and all my social media and stuff is there. Cool. Follow Ryan. Make sure to pre-order Occulted. That one comes out May 2nd. Uh Make sure to buy that book. And yeah, go read some comics. I mean, he's putting them out there for you for free. And uh, if you're getting into Korean movies, uh, right there on my website is a comic called Learn to Read Korean in 15 Minutes that will do just that. It'll teach you. You can read the subtitles yourself. You're not going to know what they say but you'll be able to read them phonetically. (laughs) Would have been helpful for you back in uh, 2005 when you stumbled upon Brotherhood of War. Executive producers on this episode include Pete Abeta from the Middle Class Film Class podcast. Go check that out. Musa Mahmood, Rupert Bumblestein, Ryan Golan from the New World Pictures podcast. Go listen to that. And Carlos Mota. Thank you so much, executive producers, for your support. If you want to be a producer on this show, head to patreon.com backslash force5. And uh, for all the content, it's just five bucks. Can't spare five bucks a month? No problem. You can still support. Take two minutes to review Force 5 wherever you get your podcasts. And please, tell your friends about the show. Those two free, simple things can really help the show audience grow. Intro and outro theme songs come from Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some amazing South Korean cinema. (laughs) 